You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, man, it's good to see you guys today. How are we doing? Awesome. Awesome. Well, one of the things that I love about the video that we just watched is it shows our many different volunteers that make the church happen around here. If you currently volunteer in any of the ministries here at the church or have in the past, would you just raise your hand real quick, real quick? Awesome. A bunch of you volunteers. Uh, Let's give them some love, right? Thank you guys for all the many things that you guys are doing to serve folks in and through uh, the church. And you should be receiving an email, those of you that are church volunteers, in the coming days. We've got a party happening in your honor on November the 1st. We want to honor you, give you some insider information about things that are happening in the church as well. Um, And another thing that we're celebrating this week is a birthday of one of our staff members, Sadie Garza, had a birthday this past week. And you can see Sadie is on the right-hand side, the second lady up there. And as I was thinking about this service, I couldn't help but think about Sadie and her life. See, some years ago when we were beginning this church, Sadie was brought here by her mother. And at that time, her mother, Margot, was going through a very painful relationship breakup. And Sadie was living in an inner-city neighborhood where she was being influenced toward drugs and gang activity. And she came here and she came here and started seeking God and she came to know God here in this church and she was baptized here right outside these doors. And as she continued to grow, she went through some of the classes and tribes. You know, I know you hear us say the word tribe all the time, classes, groups, stuff like that. She went to City Youth. She also went through what's called Peel the Onion and she found freedom from some of the pain and wounds of her life. She was suffering from a significant father wound in her life, and God not only healed that, but gave her many spiritual fathers around the church, and I consider myself to be honored to be among them in Sadie's life. And as Sadie continued to grow spiritually, she found her purpose in production arts here in the church to communicate the gospel through the creative arts here. And now, side by side with her mom, Margot, she's making a difference by serving here in the church. Yeah, isn't that awesome? And to make it better, she's making a difference, not just through the worship arts, but also through inviting the many friends of hers to come to church. And one of her friends who was involved in gang activity and drugs came to church, came to know God here and is growing spiritually here within our church. Isn't that awesome stuff to be happening all the time? Right on. So... The reason I brought that up is because I believe that Sadie's life really represents what we're trying to communicate in this series. And I want to show you one transforming idea that we're going to repeat throughout the weeks, and it's this. We're a city tribe who helps people who feel far from God to do four things. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Everything that we do in this church falls under one of those four categories. Would you say those four things with me out loud when I point to you, even those of you in the video cafe? Here we go. You ready? Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That's what we do here. And in the future, you're going to see more and more of that. Now, during this four-week series, I'm going to break down each one of those. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Today, we're going to start with know God. But before we get into it, there are a couple other words in that transforming idea that I want to talk to you about. And one of them is the word city. That word is very significant to me personally because over 11 years ago, I believe God spoke to me 
prompted me to plant a church right here in the inner city. And one of the verses that God used to do that was Acts chapter 18, verse 9. says, don't be afraid. Speak out for many people in this what? City belong to me. And it's like, Doug, don't be afraid of the inner city problems or conditions down there. You go down there, you plant a church because I got a lot of jacked up kids and we're all going to find each other at a church in the heart of the city. And I think cities are very important because in the future, urban areas are going to be the majority of the population in the world. According to the researchers, the urban population by mid-century will be the same as the population of the entire planet back in 2004. Let that land on you just for a minute. There will be the same number of people just in urban areas by mid-century as there were living on the entire planet in 2004. There's a book called Why Cities Matter, and the author says the undeniable trends of the 20th and early 21st centuries have led researchers with few known exception to conclude that in the 21st century and beyond, our world will become increasingly urban. And that is why it is so important that we plant more churches in inner cities of the different global cities. This church is mostly comprised of people who some grew up here in the inner city. Others of us literally moved down into the inner city to live here and others drive down from the outer rim, you know, where all the Targets and Starbucks and tan-colored houses are, you know, drive down here to worship. But what we all have in common is whether we're living down here or driving down here, we have this in common that we don't want to run from the problems of the urban core. But we all are moving in towards the problems to help people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference in the world. Is anybody on board with that mission here in the heart of the city? Good. So another word that you often hear us say is the word tribe. We say city, we say tribe. Um, tribe is significant because I believe that word tribe best describes the kind of community that God started in his church in the early days of the New Testament. Now, you can see the early tribe of Christians in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 44. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. It was these interdependent, loving, connected, tribal communities. And I read a book recently. It's not a Christian book, but it's by Sebastian Younger, and it's called Tribes. And in this book, he looks at American history from the colonial periods to the frontiers, and he talks about how regularly white people would leave their settlements and communities to go live with the Indian tribes. And seldom would Indians leave their tribes in order to join the white settlements. Why is that? Because they longed for the connection and community and love that they felt in their tribes. It was a loving, interconnected community. Now, when we say we're a tribe, we're not like some type of negative tribal community that's 
picking fights with other tribes of people or excluding others, but we're a very inclusive, loving tribe that's helping people to get to know God and grow in Him all the way to discovering their purpose. And I think what we need to be is what's described in that 80s sitcom, Cheers. You know, uh, Cheers is a place where everybody knows my what? Name. See, you need to be known by someone and know someone. You need to be known by God and know God. And that's what we're going to look at in the rest of this service today is knowing God. And there are two facets to this that I'm going to break down. Number one is that believers can know God more intimately. So look, certainly coming to know God is for people who don't yet have a relationship with him, come into a relationship with him and come to know him. Some Christian people around the world call that being saved or beginning the journey, however you want to word it. Uh, But believers can grow in their intimacy with God. Now, there's a little book in the old or the New Testament of the Bible that's often misunderstood. And it's the little book, it's a little letter called 1 John, not to be confused with the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John, kind of big John, and then 1 John is kind of like little John, right? And little John or 1 John is this little letter with the purpose of helping people to find joy in a deeper fellowship or connection with God. So you got to understand the letter was written to Christian people. Now, uh, I understand why people misunderstand this little book because look at verse Um, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 in 1 John. He says, and we can be sure that we, what? Know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and the truth is not living in him or he's not living in the truth. And so when I was a new believer, I thought that verse meant that my friends who were not obeying God didn't know God. You know, these people that claim to be Christians, I was mad at them because I quit smoking pot and they didn't and I thought they should. And so uh, I thought, oh, you're not obeying God. You're not obeying his commands, So you must not know him, right? We got to be careful there. We got to be careful that we don't gravitate back towards what a lot of people do by inspecting other people's fruit and determining and making a judgment whether or not they're real Christians and whether or not they really know God. Be very careful there. And people who tend to lean in that direction always forget 1 John 1 8, which says, if who? We claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Who's the we there? The we is certainly the apostles and the early Christians, but it's also you and I today. We cannot forget that even though we know God, we have some sins uh, in our life that we need to deal with. Um, Here's another often confused verse in this little book. 1 John 3, 6. No one who, look at it, continues in sin has either seen him or knows him. Now, that verse, I look at that one, I think, aha, those of those people out there that are continuing to sin, they're habitually sinning, they for sure don't know God. They can't be Christians at all. Well, I want you to be careful there for just a minute too, because here's why. Because how long is continuing in sin? Is it if you do a sin twice, three times for a week, a year? A month? How long is it? And who gets to decide that? You think you and I get to decide or maybe is it just God that knows, right? Or what if my sin is not as evil on the evil scale of things? Like what if if I'm just overeating or what if I'm, uh, you know, speeding 
in my car, or like uh, Pastor Humby says, if you, it's a sin to throw away those extra Chick-fil-A sauce packets, you know what I mean? And I throw them away all the time because I don't like them crowding up their refrigerator, you know? Well, what if it's one of those sins and you're continuing in that sin, then does that mean that you don't know him? Well, I think that what helped me to understand, uh, you know, what's going on here is to not only understand who the letter was written to, but also understand the word knowing. And so let's do a brief word study of knowing. I got this information from a spooky, smart Greek grammar specialist named K.L. McKay. And here's what he says about knowing here, that in these verses, knowing is a, hang with me on this, stative verb in the perfect tense, which intensifies the basic meaning of the verb. That means that knowing in this verse is a deeper state of knowing, to know intensely, to experience deeply to know fully. You see what's going on there? So 1 John is not about you obeying his commands or doing his will in order to get to know him. The letter's written to people who already know him. It's describing how people can get to know him more deeply, more intimately. It's kind of like this. Back in the day when I first met my wife, Jeannie, we were both in college and we were in the same class. And since our last names were, you know, close in the alphabet, I knew her name and she knew my name. And I suspect that she was already plotting in her womanly wiles. And she was already, I think she already had the hots for me. Let's just, I think she was into me. And so then eventually we went out on a date and I got to know her more. See, we talked, we got to know each other and all that. And then eventually we started dating like we were a couple. We were a thing. If there would have been social media back then, we would have changed relationship status right there. Like, we, like uh, I'm her dude. She's my lady. Okay. That's the way that it worked. And so we got to know each other even more intimately. We were a thing. We were together. And then, you know what you do, guys? You put a ring on it. That's what I did. We got engaged to be married. She went around campus. Hi, hi. Showing up a ring. You know, you know how ladies do. And we got to know each other even more intimately. But then we got married and we really knew each other more intimately, like we knew each other in biblical sense at that point. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Remember my, my sermon a few weeks ago about in the adulting series about adult sex? I'm just trying to do what God tells me to do here in the Bible, right? Um, it's real clear from the scripture that God wants married Christian couples to have wild, awesome, erotic sex together within marriage, right? That's the way the Bible teaches it. And I'm just trying to do what the Lord wants me to do. So I'm taking one for the team there. But look, it progressed. Our knowledge of each other progressed. And I can tell you today, since we've been together these many years, I know her even more deeply now. It's even way beyond just the physical part. I know her. We've been through thick and thin together, and she knows me. See, it's more intimate knowledge. And here's what some of your believers need to know. There are new levels of intimacy with him to connect in. This is what first John is challenging you to do. But look, when I was going to grow more intimate with my wife, Jeannie, I had to give up the single dude way of life. You know what I'm saying? Those of you who are husbands like, I know, I know she doesn't understand. I want to watch football all day. Okay. Well, we get to do that sometimes, but not all the time. We have to give up our single ways. And when you 
join in relationship with God, you are spiritually married to him. And sometimes you have to give up some of your spiritually single ways in order to grow in intimacy with him. Look, Jeannie and I had a relationship when we first started dating, but there were these new levels. I had to learn to give up other things to acquire what mattered more, what was more important. Now, as I knew that I would be talking about knowing God, I had to go back and read this old classic book by that title, Knowing God. It's by a spooky, smart guy named J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer is this Canadian, English, Anglican, freaky, smart, educated at Oxford guy who, like a truth machine gun, just sprays out these texts about um, knowing God. And one of the texts that he deals with is Philippians 3, 8. Look at it with me on screen. It says, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as, look at that word, dung, so that I may gain Christ. My goal is to know him, see, to know him. And that word there, dung, it's like they count everything dung in light of knowing Christ more intimately. So it's all your titles, all your prestige, all your accomplishments in this world are but dung compared to knowing him. And I want to tell you the truth. If the translators had any courage at all, they would have translated another word for dung there to make the point. See, and I would say that word, except for I'm afraid that my mother's watching on the stream online, and so I don't want to get in trouble when I talk to her on the phone later on today. Um, but they, we count these things as nothing compared to knowing Christ deeper and deeper in that relationship. Now, um, look at this next quote from J.I. Packer, and I think he makes a great point here. A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. You see what he's getting at there? Have you ever known someone that knows a lot of stuff, knows a lot of trivia, knows a lot of facts about God, but they don't exude his character at all, see? Well, oftentimes that's a person that just doesn't really know God. They may know stuff about God. They may win at Bible trivia, but they may or may not know God. And look, we can read all the books we want and listen to podcasts and all the worship downloads in the world. But if those things don't help us to connect more intimately with God and know him relationally, then they're but dung. Now look at what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9, chapter 23. He says, let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to what? Know me, says the Lord. And there is this evil force at work in the world amongst people who are already Christians who know God that it's trying to deceive us into thinking that we can really grow intimate with God and not tell other people around us that we're Christians and not honor God by letting other people know that we're in relationship with God. And Daniel was a really great example because in his day, King Darius made a decree that if you're going to pray to any other God other than him, then you would be executed. And Daniel not only continued to pray three times a day, but he opened his curtain so people could see him praying three times a day. 
And if we want to know God like Daniel knew God, we have to be a people that aren't ashamed of our relationship with him in our work circles and at school and in our neighborhoods to let people know, yes, I have love relationship with God. Now, the role of the church in this is that we're here, and this is number two, by the way, we're here to help people who feel far from God come to know God. See, this is the part where we're trying to help people who don't know about God, don't understand God. Perhaps they didn't grow up in church. And I'm telling you, church traditions and what goes on in church worship services can be odd to people outside the church. Have you ever been to a church service where you felt like they were speaking Chinese? Like, it's like, hey, man, I don't know when to stand up. I don't know when to, you know, sing or they're repeating these liturgies. I don't, I don't know these things. I don't know the practices. I don't know how this goes on. It's kind of like this day when this priest was walking down the corridor of his church and this little kid couldn't have been three or four years old, looks at the priest and he goes, why are you dressed so funny? And the priest kind of chuckled at this little kid and uh, realized the kid was looking up his priestly outfit. And he said, well, you know, I'm a priest. And as priest, this is kind of our uniform. This is our clothes that we wear. And the little boy looked at him and he said, do you have an owie? And the priest uh, was confused just for a minute. And he, thought, he realized, oh, the little white thing, you know, the little white thing on a priest there, like on his, on his uniform there. The little kid thought it was a Band-Aid. And so the little kid's like, is that an owie? And the priest wanted him to know, no, it's just a collar. And you know, some of you may not know that, that that collar goes all the way around the priest's neck. And so the priest pulled it out to show it to the little kid. And the little kid was seeing the inscription on the inside of the collar there, which was the name of the manufacturer. And he was like three or four, and the priest knew he probably couldn't read. And he goes, do you know what that says? And the little boy lied, and he said, yeah, I know what it says. And he goes, well, what does it say? And the little boy looked at that collar intently, and he said, kills ticks and fleas for up to six months. So, you know, so... Um, I thought that was kind of good. And that's kind of the way church is. Sometimes, like, you know, people don't understand what's going on. I, I grew up in a church where, you know, we sang this hymn, and it was about how angels prostrate fall. And some guy could come in there and say, you know, who doesn't know the, the drill, and he could say, well, those angels, why are they prostrate falling? Well, you, those angels need to go to the doctor and get their prostate checked. You know what I mean? It's just confusing to people. It's like in the pop culture, it's revealed on that show, The Simpsons, you know, and maybe some of you have seen that episode um, where Homer Simpson goes to church at the invitation of his Christian friend, Flanders. Are we familiar with this and these people? And so Homer gets there early and he goes to the front row of the church to sit down and he's going to meet Flanders there. Flanders is a little late. And then Flanders walks in, you know, Homer sees him and he waves him down and he says, Flanders, I got some kick-ass seats right down here, right? And because uh, he didn't know, you know, he, he wasn't church broken yet. He didn't know. And mother, if you just heard me say that in church, please don't be mad. When we talk on the phone uh, later on, I'm just quoting Homer Simpson there. But, you know, um, I understand that even in our church sometimes it can be confusing, can't it, for people? You walk in, you're new to church. And you see someone raising their hands during music, you know, and someone's like, hey, that lady's raising her hand and she doesn't even have a question. Or that person is raising two hands. What did Jesus score a touchdown or what's going on? Look, no, it's all about knowing him more. It's like when little kids reach up to their parents, they're reaching up because they want them to hold them. They want intimacy. And that's why we do that in our worship. Now, a few years ago, I went to the Spurs game. 
And this is back when Tim Duncan was still playing, you know, back when the Spurs used to like, I don't know, go to the playoffs, stuff like that. <laughs> and Tim was out there playing, having a good game, and everybody's cheering for Tim Duncan. And some people, the way they talk about Tim Duncan was kind of interesting to me. People would talk to him like they know him. It's like, Timmy, good shot. Timmy, good rebound. Timmy this, Timmy that, as if they could like text message Timmy and chill after the game. Uh, and so I thought to myself, well, if, they, if they go down there after the, you know, the game, go down on the court and they run up and try and give Tim a hug or something, it's like security is going to come out, right? And get out of here, you creep. You know, you're, you're stalking me. Well, then I notice after the game, someone brings his kids out and he embraces his kids. And why could his kids embrace him? Because they know him, see? And I want you to keep that in mind as we read this next passage, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But look at this next phrase. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them what? I never knew you. Depart from me. And remember this next phrase, you who practice lawlessness. And the reason I bring that up is because some people, and I hope nobody in this room, will experience a very awkward moment when you're facing your whole eternity. And you stand there before the God of the universe and say, hey, I did all this good religious stuff. And he says, no, let's get security. I never knew you. It'd be like an awkward moment, wouldn't it? It would be a very damaging moment. It would be the worst moment of your existence if that's what you heard someday. You know, um, Jesus says here, you know him if you, you've come to know him if you do the will of the Father. He who does the will of the Father, what, what is the will of the Father? What's that mean? I think we find an answer to that question in John chapter 6, verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and, what's that next word? Does stuff? No, believes. You're right. Believes in him shall have eternal life. Now let's look at another phrase that Jesus used here. He says, you who practice lawlessness, you're not going to get in. You don't know me. Well, what does he mean by lawlessness there? Well, it has nothing to do with people today following the laws of our land here in modern day history. What he's talking about is those who don't practice Torah law, Jewish Torah law from his day. That's what it means to be lawless. And what is Jesus' interpretation of all of Jewish Torah law? What's well, summed up in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the what? The law. He's talking about Torah law. And Jesus replied, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love is the language of relationship, not rules. And the only way you come to know God is through relationship, through knowing him. And I was helped to understand how you begin love relationship with God by a story from the Trinity Lutheran Church in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Seems one day the elderly pastor there slowly walked up to what they call the pulpit at the podium, and he starts the service there, and he introduces a guest minister friend of his that he had known growing up. And this elderly guest minister friend stood up from the audience, walked up to the podium, and he started to tell his story. He said, one day there was a father and his son and a friend of his son's who went sailing off the Pacific coast. And while they were sailing that day, they were having a good time, but a storm blew in and that evening came and the storm got to be so bad that even though this father was an accomplished sailor, he wasn't able to keep the boat upright and the boat capsized in the storm and the father and the son and the son's friend all fell into the water. Well, as this older pastor is telling this story, he looks out in the audience and he sees these two teenage boys that for the first time in the entire service started tuning into him and what he was saying. You know how it is when you're glazed over during a sermon, and then all of a sudden something hits you and you just tune in. Well, that was what happened with these two teenage boys. They were focused in on his, on his story. So he kept telling the story. And he explained how the father, now that he's down in the water, he found the life rope, the lifeline, and he had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. Which kid will I throw this life rope to first? Will I throw it to my son or will I throw it to my son's friend? And what this father knew was his son was a Christian and knew God. And he also knew that his son's friend was not a Christian and did not know God. And he made a very hard choice that day. And he yelled out to his son, I love you, son. And he threw the life rope, the lifeline, to his son's friend. And by the time he could pull that son's friend back to that capsized boat that he was hanging on to, his son had sunk down in the water under the darkness of those waves. And his body was never recovered. Well, by this point in the story, the two teenage boys in the audience were just locked in to this elderly pastor and he finished up the story and he said you know that's like God and the gospel and that God the father gave up his son to throw you a life rope the cross of Jesus so that you can have a love relationship with God it's a sacrifice of a father and I would implore you to grab that life rope today And with that, this elderly pastor ended his story. He went and sat down, and later on, the service was over. When the service was over, those two teenage boys that were locked into the story, they made a beeline for that guest pastor to talk to him. And they said, sir, that was a really great story. And then one of the boys said, but you know, it seems unrealistic to me that a father would throw the lifeline to his son's friend expecting that he would become a Christian. And that elderly pastor, you could tell he was moved emotionally and he looked down for just a moment, almost tears in his eyes. And then he looked up at those boys and he said, I know it's unrealistic, but I'm standing here today to tell you that I was that boy's friend. And so I probably know more than most what it's like to have a father sacrifice his son for my life. And here's what I think God wants someone to know today. 
is that he brought you here to throw you a lifeline to the gospel. And you say, what do I have to do to receive it? What's the gospel? It's summed up in John 17, 3. Look at it on the screen behind me. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And today's the day for someone to come to know him and grab that line. Let's bow for prayer. And as we go before God, these are special and holy moments for someone. And maybe in your own heart and mind, you just want to talk to God and say something like this, God, I know, I know I've made mistakes and sinned. But in these holy moments now, the best I understand it, I am making a choice to grab the lifeline and to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. Welcome into my life. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps some of us who are believers want to pray prayers of knowing. We don't want to be that people group, Lord, who just knows a lot of stuff about you and can spout all the Bible trivia and argue about predestination with our Christian friends. But we want to be the people who intimately know you and exude your character, that your love and your grace and your mercy just flows out of us. And any knowledge that we have, we want it to be knowledge that leads us towards deeper intimacy with you, more than what we had than what we came into the room with, more than what we had when we first started following you. And we're willingly and voluntarily laying down our spiritually single kinds of lifestyles and habits because we count all of our accomplishments but dung in light of the surpassing value of knowing more intimately Jesus. That's all we want. Nothing else matters. We just want more and more intimacy with you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing by your spirit in our hearts and lives in this church. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.